0: This morning, we will be looking at one of the miracles that Jesus did, just like we've been doing for the past uh, few Sunday mornings. Um, However, in order for us to to better appreciate this miracle, what I want us to do is I want us to go back and look at another miracle first. And this other miracle is a lot earlier than the one with Jesus. See, Jesus' miracle happened about 2,000 years, but I want us to back up another 1,000 plus years, all the way back to Moses. So if you want to follow along this morning, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. And we're going to take a look at a miracle that was done through the hands of Moses before we get to this miracle that that Jesus um, did. Now, there's a lot of parallels that you will see this morning between Jesus and Moses. So in Exodus chapter 16, um, to give you an idea of where we're at in this book Okay, Exodus chapter 14 is where the actual like crossing of the Red Sea takes place, you know, where the actual Exodus happens. Okay, so that's happened in chapter 14. And chapter 15, the first part of that, they start singing this, this song of praise because of what God has just brought them through. It's a really cool chapter and it's one that, you know, is, is important because sometimes when God brings us through some, you know, troubling time, sometimes we forget to praise Him and thank Him. Well, that's what chapter 15 is all about. And then right after, like right before we get into chapter 16, what we see in chapter 15 is you got this large group of people, they're going out in this wilderness and they need water. Well, guess what? The Lord provides water. So now we get to chapter 16 where we're about to see this miracle. And this time, you know, can you think of something else that you might need in the wilderness in addition to water in order to live? That's food. So now they've got this problem What are we going to do for food? So Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us... Uh, out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and together for that day. In this way, I will test and see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay, so this is what what the Lord is going to do. You know, he's going to send them this bread from heaven. You probably know it by the term manna. That is just kind of what we typically favor. That's what we call it. Um, And it's also called that in in this chapter as as well. But yes, this is the occasion where manna is given as this food. Um, Let's pick back up in the story, though, because there's a little bit more I want us to see. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. "...that evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, "'What is it?' for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, "'It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat.'" This is what the Lord commanded, "'Everyone is together as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent.'" The Israelites did as they told, some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Okay, so this is amazing how God provides this food. And this food that he provides, um, like I said before, we typically call it manna. And when you look at verse 15, we see the Israelites have this question about this bread. You know, it's a, it's a little different type of substance. And sometimes people ask me about this too. You know, every, every once in a while I have people ask me about manna. Like, uh, for instance, you know, at the bus garage, I had, you know, one of my, one of my friends uh, up there who, um, whenever he was reading through this, this passage, um, he had this question about manna. And he looks at me and he goes, Aaron, that manna that, that God fed them with, what is it? And I responded, you're exactly right. And he just kind of gave me a funny look. I said, that's literally what the word manna means. Manna means what is it? So whenever we say manna, we're saying the same thing as what is it? The Israelites are trying to figure it out too. Well, what I'll share with you is keep in mind, this is a miracle, okay? This is food. This is bread that's coming from heaven. It's not gonna be something that we're typically used to seeing, you know? It's a little different, but this is a, a miracle that God did in order to feed all of these Israelites, and it worked, and they, they, they fed on this bread uh, for, for a long time, and everybody gathered what they needed, and you know, they, they were able to share, and they, they had as much as what they needed. This is what happens whenever the Lord provides uh, food for people. Now let's take a look at the miracle that's similar to this that Jesus does in John's Gospel. So um, the, the reason for us looking at these, these signs from John uh, and by the way, we will be in John chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. John chapter 6. The reason why we're looking at these miracles is because uh, John tells us that that's one of the main purposes as to why he wrote this book, is to show us these, these signs and to, uh, by looking at these signs so that we can have belief and so that we can trust in, in Jesus Christ. And these signs, I believe, help us to a- adjust our focus and help us to be able to see Jesus uh, more clearly and when we look at this this uh, story here, we can see this crowd and we can learn a whole lot from them and we can find out kind of something they were wondering at this time too. Um, many times we sort of take it for granted that we know who Jesus is. You know, Jesus, he's the Christ. He's the son of God. We know him. He's, he's our Lord. He's the one who's gonna raise it from the dead. See, when, when they were living this stuff, they didn't always exactly have it all lined out like that. And they not everybody necessarily knew that. Sometimes people had to learn these things along the way. For instance, you realize you had to learn that at some point too. You know, we, we typically come here together and we just kind of we assume we're all on the same page about who Jesus Christ was, but guess what? You had to learn that from somebody. You had to learn that at some time. Well, these signs, we start to see how some people started to realize how important Jesus was. And how important Jesus still is. Uh, so let's take a look at this sign together. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip... There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those uh, who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. And let's pause right there for a moment. And let's see this miracle and let's, let's notice a few things about this miracle because a great miracle has already happened. Well, there's something that's, that's really neat about this miracle. And maybe whenever you, uh, you read through that, Maybe you started realizing, uh, you know, I kind of remember some details that weren't in there. And you might be be thinking about that. Well, this miracle is different than the other ones that we've looked at from John. See, all the ones up to this point have kind of been sort of just, John was really the only one that kind of records those, or they might be similar to other miracles. This miracle, however, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, it's the only sign that's recorded in all of the Gospels. I find that kind of interesting, but I think that's also something we need to pay attention to. What is it that we can learn about this miracle that is so important that each one of the gospel writers included it? I mean, it's the only one besides Jesus raising from the dead, which we can understand why that one's recorded in all of them. But this one is the only other one that's recorded in all of the different gospels. There are a lot of things we can learn from it. So let's take a look at these people and let's uh, let's see some things from them. Uh, all the way back in verse 2, we get to find out why uh, this crowd is following him in the first place. They're following him because they saw these signs that he had performed whenever he was healing the sick. So he's already been performing these signs. They already know it. That's why they're following him. And then we start to see uh, some, a little bit of connection here in verse 4 to Moses. Now, this one you might be thinking that's not a strong connection because the only connection that's made is it was near the Jewish Passover festival. Okay, and you might be thinking, "Eh, I can kind of see a little connection with Moses. There is because the Passover festival goes back all the way to the time of Moses. That's not a big thing to, to really dwell upon just yet. Just notice, okay, we already see early on there's a connection to Moses. Why is there this connection with the Passover and Moses already? Well, what he does is significant because what he does is is a lot like that other miracle. You remember that bread from heaven, that manna? Well, it's a very similar type of thing. You have a large group of people that need food and they're being fed by some miraculous way. And Jesus is the one whose hands uh, through which this miracle takes place. This whole framework that we see among this miracle is a test. In verse six, uh, Jesus did ask him that question. You know, he, he, started, um, uh, he started asking them, you know, where are we going to be able to get this, this food to feed all these people? He was asking a question. He already knew what he was going to do, but he was asking this because of a test. And, and sometimes it's important to be aware of, of how Jesus works. And sometimes Jesus works a little different than how we might expect um, you know, because some of these other miracles before the first two ones that we looked at, somebody else asked him to perform the miracle. Um, then the, the third miracle that he did, uh, he's the one who started it. And then this miracle, it seems like he's kind of asking this question, but then he already knows he's going to do a miracle anyways. But, you know, so it's just if if you try to fit how these signs take place into a, you know, a set standard way, it's it's not always going to work. Sometimes these signs happen a little differently. So it's important to take them you know, as they are here and to understand this test. Part of this test is, who is Jesus, really? I mean, who do you really believe he is? Do you believe that he's able to feed a group of 5,000? I mean, these people, they didn't get to read this yet, so they didn't know, okay, this is one of these big miracles people will remember. They didn't know that. But yet, you know, we see it. We see that this was this, this test to see uh, who Jesus is and what their belief was in him. Well, they have some questions of their own because they start to to find out, okay, how are we going to feed these people? They, they do a little bit of a crowd survey and they find out they got a little bit of food. But, I mean, that's, that's like somebody's sack lunch. It's not enough to feed 5,000, okay? That's not enough to feed even the 12 disciples unless you're just like really just wanting just a, a light light snack but even then i don't know if you could hardly get even just a, a pinch of everything among 12 people much less 5000 men and you know i don't even know what you want to do about adding in women and children but you know you got 5000 men at least this is a lot of people here how much is this five small barley loaves and the two small fish you realize both of them are small you know it's it's not going to go very far And they ask that question, verse nine, how far will they go among so many people? I think that's a question sometimes we ask ourselves too. Oftentimes we don't do it out loud, though. You know, we might just look at our own lives and we think, you know, look, I know that God can use me, but you know, all I've really got to bring to the table is, you know, this. And you might you might think of something that that you've been blessed with. And and maybe it might not seem like a whole lot to you. You know, maybe some talent that you've been given, some, some great thing that, that you have. But yet, to you, you're just like, you know, how far is this really going to go? You know, what, what is it really going to do, and how much is it really going to matter? That's kind of what they were wondering. They wanted to know, how much is all this going to matter with that many people? Well, whenever we put what we do have in the hands of Jesus Christ, who knows what it can do? Who knows of how great things it can accomplish? Because this that's talked about as being a small meal with just those five loaves and then two fish, it's just a small meal. But yet, in verse 11, we can read that they had as much as they wanted. I mean, you know, as much as they wanted. And personally, I don't know how you think about this whenever you see this miracle. And I kind of wonder what that, that miracle looked like. You know, when you, you all of a sudden you see this this food that could probably fit just about in Jesus' hands to begin with, and then he just kind of starts breaking it up and then you've got these basketfuls and then you know people have gotta be wondering, where is all this food coming from? And it would have been an interesting miracle to see when people started realizing that they're getting food and that food wasn't there a while ago. And, you know, I I don't know, it's just kinda of, it would be an interesting thing to see how that might work among that crowd as they start to understand. We're getting food, where did this food come from? Well, it came from the hands of Jesus because he took what we had, which was something so small, but yet in his hands, it could be something great. Then we find in verse 14, let's skip on down just a little bit now to verse 14. They make a statement that I think sadly, I don't know, I don't know if it has as much meaning to us and I don't know if we always realize the meaning at first. In verse 14, the statement is made. This they began to say, "Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world." And you might be thinking, "Okay, what's the significance of that statement?" Okay, you can keep your finger right here, and I want us to turn back to another passage here, uh, all the way back to to Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. in In the book of Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, uh, this is two verses right here that are told to, about Moses, that there's going to be another prophet that's like him. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, we read this. It's the Lord speaking to Moses and he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So based on these two verses, the Israelites of Jesus' day and for even generations before this, they've been waiting for this prophet that's like Moses. They keep waiting and wondering, when is this prophet that's like Moses going to rise up? They feel like Moses was a really big character. We're going to know it whenever he gets here, but when is he coming? And then Jesus comes and this crowd who is able to see him multiply this food They say, surely this is the prophet. They're starting to make these connections. They're starting to focus and get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Now, today, I don't think that phrase about the prophet, I don't know that we really kind of focus as much on that, but yet... You still do understand it, though, because you understand and you notice that Jesus is greater than Moses. You know, that's even something that the Hebrew writer talks about. So, I mean, we we recognize these things and we recognize that there are connections with Jesus and Moses. However, I believe there's more connections made here in this passage than what we sometimes notice at first. And the Jews were a little bit more aware of that because they were anticipating it. You know, they were waiting for when is this prophet going to rise up? These people said, well, this is the prophet. And guess what? They were right. Jesus is that prophet. And when you look at that statement that the Lord is going to uh, put his own words into the mouth of Jesus, I mean, we see all these things being fulfilled. And we see the part that Jesus plays here. And we also see the importance of listening to him. Because God is going to hold them accountable if they don't listen to their, that prophet in the future. Well, Jesus is that prophet. Are they going to listen to him, or are they not going to? Well, let's look at just a a little bit more, because I I want us to go back to to John chapter 6. We're not going to look at this whole chapter, because if you've kind of been skipping forward maybe and looked at it, it's a long chapter. We're not going to look at it all today. But we're going to pick back up in verse 25. So uh, where we left off, Uh, Jesus didn't really like how the situation was going. He withdrew himself for a time, and then the crowd ends up finding him again. So we're going to pick back up whenever the crowd finds him again. And notice this conversation that takes place at that time. And notice what their, their focus is on, too. In verse 25, we read, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him. God, the father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So let's, let's take a look again now at this crowd and let's see where their focus is at this point. Well, at first, all the way back in verse 2, we read that the crowds were following him because they saw signs. However, now things have kind of changed a little bit. Why are they, why are they following him now? Verse 26 tells, tells us by Jesus' own statements, that they came not because they saw the signs that he performed. That's not really why they're following him anymore. They're following him because they ate the loaves and they had their fill. You know, they're, they're just following him for just kind of some of the, the physical benefits that they can receive from following Christ. And I think that's important to, for us to ask ourselves, why are we following Christ? You know, why are we following Christ? Is it just for, you know, maybe some physical benefit that, that we might get? Or is it something deeper than that? Is it because of who Jesus actually is? Because, you know, I mean, when we're honest about it, you can find out, yeah, there are a lot of benefits to following Jesus Christ. There's a a lot of of physical benefits even to following him. However, there's more than just that. And and we've got to realize that there is more and the importance of the more. They start uh, to, to look at this statement that he makes in verse 27. That Jesus is trying to adjust their focus. And he, he starts talking about, um, what are you working for? You know, Are you working for these, these temporary things, this food that spoils? And he, he tries to adjust their focus. And he says, no, you've got to set your sights higher than that. You've got to focus on something longer lasting. you got to focus on something that endures for eternal life. That's the type of uh, focus that Jesus tries to do. And he says this word about work, which sparks the, this question. Okay, so what type of works does God want from us? What type of works does he require? You see that question in verse 28. However, when you look at that question, you might be thinking, okay, these people should kind of already know this by now. They should already know what God requires. I mean, haven't they haven't they read the Bible? And when we see these types of questions, I think we need to realize that you know, sometimes we kind of ask similar types of questions. You know, have I been doing this right? Or, or did I miss something along the way? And this crowd wanted to know, okay, if we're supposed to be working for something eternal, what type of work does God require? And Jesus responds in verse 29 using that same phrase about work. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You know, a lot of times Christians like today, they kind of go back and forth about, you know, well, how are we saved? And sometimes there's emphasis. Some people want to put emphasis on works and they say, well, you know, we're saved by the works. And some people want to put emphasis and say, oh, well, we're saved by our faith. Here in this passage, what you see is is a more clear picture about what's really going on. It's not so much as, okay, are we saved by works or are we saved by faith? No, Jesus actually calls faith a work. He says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So sometimes we don't do a lot of justice by trying to debate, okay, how are we saved? Is it by works? Is it by faith? Well, yeah, you have to have faith, but that is a work. And shortly after that, then, people ask this question, and it's surprising to me. They ask, what sign can you give that we may see it and believe you. Is this the same crowd that just witnessed this? I mean, technically in this chapter, there's two miracles. We only looked at one of them. We skipped over another miracle. That's kind of part of that, that section that we skipped over. So this crowd has seen two miracles by Jesus and they're still asking, what sign can you give? What sign can you give? I mean, they, he fed 5,000. He walked on water. What, what, what other sign do you need? How much more proof do you need? Well, they go back and their focus was on on Moses. They say, look, our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. You know, can you do that? Didn't he just do something very similar to that? Didn't he just show that? And whenever they actually um, say this statement, you know, they, they start talking about their ancestors and everything. And Jesus, once again, adjusts their focus. And he says, You've got to recognize who who actually was giving that bread. It wasn't Moses that was giving that bread. It was my father. Because he says, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who is giving you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And that bread from heaven, he's referring to himself right there. He, he's the one that truly is this bread of life that is going to give life to all who come after him. To all who seek him. To all who have faith in him. That's the... The, the true focus and where this focus needs to be, not on this man. I mean, Moses was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he had his faults, but ultimately he was a great guy. But he's not God. He's not the Father. And Jesus was trying to adjust this crowd's focus. And sometimes I think sadly that, that our focus can get off if we, if we don't pay attention to that. And so what is our focus on when we look at Jesus Christ? What is our focus on whenever we, we see him performing these miracles, whenever we hear him teaching these words? Because the, the true significance here is where Jesus constantly keeps trying to get these people and saying, look, it's not about these things uh, you know, that we might encounter here on this earth. It's, it's so much more than that. And it, it, ha- it has to do with the things that his father is doing. It has to do with this faith. In Jesus Christ, this one that God sent and this plan that God has initiated so that that we can all be saved, this can all happen through Jesus Christ. Moses was great. He was a wonderful servant of God. Jesus Christ is better. He's the son of God. He's the one through whom we can have eternal life. He's the one through whom we can have uh, this, this gift that God refers to. So as we look at this lesson, let's learn from these people and let's see that our focus needs to be on that of of God and what our heavenly father is doing. He's willing to do so much with our lives if we truly just give him what we can bring to the table. Even if it's just a small amount, God can do great things with it. But we've got to be willing to give those things over to him at first. Are you willing to give over your life to God?